Genesis 12, we're going to get there in just a few minutes. Um, we're in our series called Calibrate. We're beginning to get our minds centered on the things that we value, centered on, for us as a church, what it means to value truth, what it means to value people, and what it means to value God. And we're going to spend one more week here this morning talking about truth, specifically the truth about insecurity. Um, So I want to spend a few minutes thinking and defining insecurity, and then uh, I want to dive, we're going to go into several places in the Bible to look at some different individuals who wrestled with insecurity, what Jesus had to say about insecurity, and then what the truth of the gospel reveals about how we actually live out. Um, So insecurity, according to the dictionary, um, here's what insecurity is, Um, not having confidence um, or being sure, not confident or sure, you're uncertain. It's up there. Not adequately guarded or sustained. So you feel this like unsafe, you're kind of on edge, uh, not firmly fastened or fixed, shaky, and deficient in assurance, beset by fear and anxiety. So think about, think about those. Like, what areas of your life are you uncertain? What areas of your life do you feel unsafe or are you shaky or do you, are you overcome by fear? So here's what I want you to do. I want us to think for a second about what are the predominant areas where people in the world today wrestle with insecurity? Okay, go ahead and, and discuss that with the person next to you. What are, the, what are the, the things in the world today that people predominantly wrestle with insecurity? Share that with the person next to you for a minute. Okay, what'd you come up with? Relationships. Money. Status. Pride. What'd you say? Health. Any others that come to mind? Future. Any others? Appearance. I want you to pull out your bulletin. Um... Because I don't think we just want to speak generally here, but I believe the Spirit of God wants to speak specifically to us, to you as an individual. So in your bulletin on the front, towards the bottom, it says, write down a couple of your insecurities and fears here. So take a second right now. Write down. Don't just be like, I got them in my head. I want you to write them down. Something powerful God does, and we take a pen and we begin to put it on paper and push out what he's doing in our minds. Write down a couple things. You can fold it up real tightly and put it in your pocket when you're done if you want, but write it down. I'm insecure about someone seeing my list.
now. You can work on that list as we move forward. Um, if, if there's any level of insecurity in your life, uh, you're in good company. Uh, because to be human is to be insecure. Uh, so there was uh, research done by Chapman University in California talking about the top five personal fears. Um, top five fears that, that people deal with. Uh, here, here they are. Uh, number one is walking alone at night. I, I just soon run, right? Um, number two is becoming the victim of identity theft. Number three, safety on the internet. Number four, being the victim of a mass or random shooting. Number five, public speaking, and the list goes on. Um, Those are five of the top ones that people in the world would would categorize as some of the biggest fears that we face. Now, what I want us to think about as we think about insecurity is really this truth that we're enslaved to the things that we value. Okay, that literally, like, when we think about insecurity, when we think about being in bondage, we can think about this. That the areas of your life where you wrestle with insecurity, where you wrestle with uncertainty, literally, we are enslaved to those things. They govern how we live and how we... Like, we're not, I'm not going there. Or like... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having that conversation. One, because I don't really know how to navigate the conversation, and it's probably just not going to go well anyway. Okay, we're, we're enslaved. Somebody mentioned health. We're enslaved to like, that I stay healthy, or what happens if I, if I lose my health? You know, on some levels, you're not in control of your health. Okay, we become enslaved to these areas of our lives, but here's what's crazy, and here's where we're going. If I can let the cat out of the bag... It's that, that Paul says that we're, we're slaves to Christ. Right? So there's a sense where in Christ, like we're literally set free. Get out. Okay? But no, we're slaved to Him. We're chained to Him. He becomes the one that we value. Go to um, Genesis 12. I want to walk through several individuals and the insecurity that they faced. Uh, Abraham. Pretty uh, powerful story. Um, pretty important guy in the Bible, right? Abram, Abraham. Um, so God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to do marvelous things in and through your life and in and through your family. Um, namely, that I'm going to bring grace through the line of your family. Okay, um, pick it up, verse 1, 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Somebody mentioned um, like future plans, like where am I going here? Okay, right here, probably on the table here. He tells Abram, Go. Where, where am I going? I'm going to show you. I just want you to pack up and, and start heading there. Whoa. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he paints this 
unbelievable picture of the blessed hand of God on his life, but not just his life, his descendants and their descendants and their descendants, all the way down. And we're here and we know the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus because of this promise. Okay, but keep going. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. For there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the, e, on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Okay, now, think about this. This calling, this promise, like it's fresh. So Abram's like going, God's like, here's, here's what we're doing. He's building an altar, like worship, like, man, God's good. God's here. I believe him. I trust him. Okay, then it gets hard. Look at the next verse. Now there was a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when, they, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me. But they will let you live. So, so check, listen to where he's going here. Watch this. This is unbelievable. So, Say you are my sister. Okay, listen to where, where insecurity creeps in here, okay? Say you're my sister. Okay, so God just painted this unbelievable picture about how God is going to use Abram. And his wife would be a pretty key person in that story to bring about descendants that would, the blessing would be carried on. So, say you're my sister, listen, that it may go well with me. Okay? So insecurity creeps in, and here's, when he fails to believe and trust the promises of God, what he does is he then to, begins to self-protect and throw his wife under the bus. That it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they, pra- they praised her to Pharaoh. The woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. Okay, so God's like, I'm going to show up. Right? So he, he begins to lie, as his wife lie about who she is. And God's like, I'm going to show up. And I'm going to be the savior. I'm going to be the hero. So he begins to afflict Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, "Uh, what'd you do? Like, what'd you do to me? Something's going on here. 
Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that it took her, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And you know what happened? As a result of this deep-seated insecurity and failure to trust God, what happened? Isaac his son, in chapter 26, does the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Hey, say you're my sister, not my wife, that it may go well with me. And then Isaac's son, Jacob, does what? Deceives Isaac that he might get the blessing. Like You see how this goes on and on and on. Insecurity is a failure to believe God. A failure to believe God. Let me me flip it. Where you fail to believe God, you are insecure. So maybe you're in here and you're like, man, I'm a confident person. I'm really not insecure at all. Where you fail to believe God, you are insecure. And insecurity is a failure to believe God. Flip over to Exodus chapter 3. Is a phenomenal story that God uses morons to bring forth his kingdom. Because here in Exodus 3, the people of Israel are under the oppression of Pharaoh. And pick it up, uh, let's go Exodus, uh, let's go to the end of 2, 2.23. During those days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Didn't we just go over who those guys were? Didn't we just go over the deep levels of insecurity and failure, yet God comes in, and in his mercy and in his grace, he establishes a line and a name and a kingdom. She's like, I had a covenant, and my covenant isn't based on how you perform, and how you output and really cling to my promises, my covenant is who I am. It's my nature and my character. And how you act doesn't change who I am. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burning? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. He says that again. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I just love how God sets the scene, um, even with Abraham, and, and now here with Moses, that he's God. 
He has authority. He has power. He's sufficient. He's holy. He's like, take off your sand. Like, this is holy ground. It's my presence. And he's like, I'm reminding you of that right before I call you into something that you cannot do apart from me. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Now, look at what he says, verse 10. Come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And what did God say? But he said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Here's what insecurity is. Insecurity is a denial of the presence of God. Insecurity is a denial of the presence of God and it's placing whatever you want your security to be in as that being God or this pursuit of a false God because God says to Moses, I'll be with you. Now, take your eyes over to chapter 4, verse 10. Continue to see how this dialogue goes down. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, like I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. So he begins to hash through like his weakness and his inadequacies and his fears. Then the Lord said to him, I'm pretty sure I made your mouth. I think last time I checked that tongue you have, I think I made that. I think I'm in control and can take care of you. Okay, that's my version. Um, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, like based on who I am, go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This is never a good moment. Um, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, and he, and put the words in his mouth, and I will... Be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. Insecurity is a denial of the presence of God. And where we sit in the presence of inadequacy, insecurity, we're denying God's presence with us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. But flip to the right a few more, Judges 6. 
I think we often say we absolutely believe, man, God's presence, God's with us, right? But actually the way we live our lives doesn't show that. Judges. Judges 6. So Israel's under the oppression of people called the Midianites. They cry out for help. God hears them and says, I'm going to raise up a leader. 6.11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terabith at Orph. Orphra, I think it is. Which belongs to Joash, the Abysrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. So a lot of crazy words that probably distract you from the whole point. Um, basically, a guy named Gideon, cowardly hiding from the enemy. Um, you don't thresh out wheat in a wine press. It's a picture of his cowardice. It's a picture of his fear. Okay, angel shows up. Look at it. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir. Here we go again, right? Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this bad happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? I mean, just like Moses, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, in verse 34, it says that moments before he goes out to battle, the Spirit of the Lord God clothed him. Literally, God's presence, the Spirit of God, come over him and led him out to be everything he couldn't be in and of himself. And then what happens? This is, this is phenomenal. God gets to set Gideon's army 22,000 soldiers against the Midian army of hundreds of thousands. God looks at Gideon and is like, you know what? Your army's too big, man. What? But yeah, so it cuts that thing down from 22,000 to 10,000 just by saying, who's scared? Okay, see ya. Um, and then uh, from 10,000 to 300 fighters and then they win the most bizarre i'll let you read it they win the most bizarre battle ever against hundreds of thousands of fighters who have every single weaponry at their disposal and the power of god shows up to be sufficient where gideon and the army is completely lacking Insecurity is a denial of the presence and the power of God. Flip to the right, John 8. John 8. Verse 
Because as Christians, for those that are Christians here, um, I think something that's super important as we think about insecurity is thinking about, like, so we read stories about God's presence being with us, but thinking about even deeper what it means that we're saved into the family of God and the Spirit of God then becomes, begins to empower us. So um, there, there's this story in John 8 where, and I won't read it for the sake of time, but um, the Pharisees catch a woman in the act of adultery. Like, not like, hey, we heard about this. Like, we caught you in the act. So they drag her to Jesus. Drag her to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, here's what this lady was doing. We're going to stone her. Jesus looks at him and says, what? Am I no? But the one who's without sin cast the first stone. You know, so they're, all, so they're probably like, like, get the stone, get the... Oh. Right? Because all of a sudden it's like, oh, shoot, like I'm just like her. And then Jesus looks at her. Verse 10. And he says this. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. So he calls her into his grace, into his forgiveness, into his Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He calls her into that and then sends her out in the power of that. I mean, picture that scene. Could there be a more like caught in the act of sin, drug before people and then ridiculed? We need to take care of this woman. I mean, how humiliating. Jesus empowers her with love and grace and forgiveness, saying there's no condemnation. Listen, the greatest place of security is a place where forgiveness, grace, and repentance reign. Um, So the other day, um, we're getting the kids to bed, and my wife was working, so I go solo on those nights, and um, so it was crazy, like... uh, the kids were goofing off a ton, and I know that never really happens, but um, they were goofing off, and I'm like, you know, brush your teeth and get in bed, and I'm like, why aren't you doing that? Like, um, when I say that, that means the opposite, right? So they are goofing off, and um, Mikhail was, like, blocking the boys from, like, the bathroom, like, hey, go brush your teeth. They're literally trying to go to the bathroom, and she's like, you know, and they're like, daddy, and they're frustrated, and um, so I go to Mikhail, and I'm like, I'm like, babe, what, like, what are you doing? Um, your teeth aren't brushed. You, you're Jammies aren't on. Um, I want you to get, do all these things, and then we're going to go to the couch, and we're going to read. And, um, and so I'm like, were, like, were you goofing off? Were you listening to what I said, or were you goofing off? And so I'm just trying to take this teachable moment, and, and uh, when everything in me wants to, like, not teach, and really teach, I guess I should say. Um, and, uh, and, and she goes, and she gets a piece of paper. She writes at the top, goofing off. She's in first grade, and writing and all that is, like, is like incredible. So she writes everything now. Um, so she writes goofing off, and then she writes yes and no. She circles yes. She puts a check mark. And then she takes the piece of paper, and she shows me. Okay, now, 
You think that's great, right? But I know my daughter, and I know it's not. Because his, so, so here's where the conversation went from there. Oh, Mikhail, I want to hear you. Ver- I want to hear you verbalize that. Like you write on a piece of paper what happened. Like I want to hear you speak out, Daddy. I was I was wrong. Yeah, I was goofing off. I shouldn't have been goofing off. So we're sitting down and we're having this conversation. She takes her shirt and she pulls it up over her head. And I'm like, Mikhail, I want you to take take your shirt. I want you to look at me. And I'm like, why, why are you covering yourself up? And she's like, Daddy, when I'm in trouble, I get shy. Now, you guys know my daughter. She, she's not shy. She's one of the least insecure people on the planet. She's going to take over the world. Okay? But she's like, Daddy, when I get in trouble, I get shy. So I had her pull her shirt down to where I could see her head. I'm like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I said, babe. That's called shame. And you know what shame is? So I'm going to unpack what shame was with her. And I, and I said, listen, Jesus was publicly humiliated and shamed for you. He was shamed for you so that you don't have to walk in shame. I said, babe, you never have to feel bad about coming and asking for forgiveness. You never have to feel bad about being accepted, about wondering, if, if I'm, am I going to be loved? You don't have to hide when you're being corrected. Because listen, you have a God that offers grace and offers salvation that freely says, if you confess, you, you're forgiven. I said, babe, you don't have to be shy. I said, you can freely admit what you need to admit, and confess your sin. Because here's the truth. There's no condemnation in Christ. We've got to dialogue about that and talk about that. Because, listen, we, we think this picture of exposed sin is this, the greatest place of vulnerability, the greatest place of insecurity. But when Christ comes along and he says, neither do I condemn you. You're forgiven. That's security. Because here's, here's what security says. Cooper, put that up there. Here's what security says. You have to be someone special. You have to make up for your lack. You have to prove yourself. So insecurity is like, you got to like keep juggling. You got like, to prove yourself. I mean, we could, we could go on and on and on about what the, like, the mommy wars, like, Mom's the deep sense of need where you feel like you got to like one up the other mom or like you're, you're constantly comparing like, well, look at man, how they're feeding their kids or look at, man, that creative thing. Like I never think of that and I better think of something even but Wow, that was an incredible family day. Like look at how they posted that and like this comparison and there's such a deep level of insecurity. Relationships, how we interact with individuals. Bent towards sarcasm to hide under our insecurities, of this loneliness that I, I need because I don't have. But in the truth of the gospel, you have everything. You're accepted, you're loved. Christ woos you, he calls you his own. So you're secure in him. He is everything, he offers everything. comparison. We're, we're constantly looking around. And they drive a nicer car than me. Gosh, I, I, need to, I, need to, 
I need to, I need to get a better job. I, man, they dress nicer than me. Man, look at this house they have. Constantly comparing, comparing financially. This lie, like, you're, you are your net worth. Like, insecurity says you lack. You need to make more money. Listen, the stock market tanks tomorrow. You have not lost your security in the kingdom of God. But our hope isn't in that. Our, our hope is, is in the earthly because we believe the insecure lies that like we got to be somebody, like, we got to work so hard to be someone. It enslaves us, physical appearance. The comparison, the lies the world feeds us about what you have to look like and how you have to eat and all these different things. Listen, are there areas in all of those that we can honor and press into the Lord and steward ourselves and steward our money? Absolutely. But where those become the things that we're enslaved to, that really govern, like, we're greater evangelists of healthy eating and sports than we are the promises of God and the kingdom of God. That's slavery. And here's what Jesus says. Where insecurity says you have, you have to be somebody special, you have to make up for your lack, you have to prove yourself. Jesus says, you are someone special. You lack nothing. You have nothing to prove. Because everything was proved by my perfect life and my brutal death and my resurrection power to grant your sin dead and my ascension to give you the Holy Spirit to empower your active living and my promised second coming that your inheritance isn't in this earth but is in heaven. That's your hope. I love what Brendan Brendan Manning says in this quote, to be nobody but yourself in a world that is trying its best day and night to make you everybody else is the fight and the hardest battle you can ever fight and never stop fighting. You know what that means? God's, by his Holy Spirit, created your life to be you. And he's put his mark on you, not to be me, not to be the person next to you, not try, to try to be you, to live out your faith in his name and in his kingdom, to be you. And everybody else is saying, you got to be this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. And Jesus is like, just stop. Just stop. Do you know who loves you? Do you know where your salvation is? Do you know who your God is? is but in the midst of this there's a danger when we talk about insecurity so we, we, we like all those things like we maybe know and we believe but as we talk about insecurity the danger is believing this lie that we have to be a better version of us right so like where we lack First of all, maybe admitting where we lack, but where we lack, if we could just improve upon those things, then we wouldn't feel so bad. So like, if I just exercise more, then I would feel a little more secure. If I like, got another job and made a little bit more money, then it, 
and feel a little bit more secure. Or if I had a plan to buy a new car that maybe wouldn't break down, then I wouldn't feel so bad and I'd feel a bit better about myself. Like, you said we could go on and on and on about, let's just better our situation. Here's the truth, though. God hasn't called us to just be a better version of the world. He hasn't. He's called us to find our strength and our hope in him, in his promises. And if we're going to be people that say we value the gospel in a church that says we value the truth of the gospel, the goal isn't just the removal of insecurity, but the presence of Christ. Look down in John 8 at verse 31. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my promises, you're truly my disciple. You're a disciple of truth. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does it mean to be free? Think about that. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Any thoughts? What does it mean to be free? probably a pretty good illustration we live in bondage we live in bondage to our sin we live in bondage to our how we view ourselves how others view us people pleasing comparison just as like when you know me as the true savior like i've come to set you free but here's the truth we don't live free do we why think about areas of your life Where your affections go. Where's your attention drawn? Listen, that's what you worship. Okay, we have all these little G's, all these little gods in our life that literally our affections run to. We worship the God of our insecurities and we give in and it literally governs and directs the course of how we live. And our life ebbs and flows and rises and falls based on what we give our attention to and based on what we give our affections to. Jesus makes it clear. John 8, 34. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What's he saying? We're enslaved to something. Either enslaved to the Lord or we're enslaved to sin. Now listen, the hope and the point this morning isn't that we would fully stop being enslaved to sin and fully start being enslaved to Christ, but that we would begin to identify areas of our life where our affection isn't fully for Christ and our doubt as to Christ not being sufficient to meet that need. And we begin to repent and confess of that. Verse 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if you continue on in chapter 8, verse 44, it talks about the lies of the enemy. It talks about how the enemy, the father of lies, your de- the devil, your will to do the father's desires, he's a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So it's, this, it's combating the truth of who Jesus is. So where we sit in the weight of our doubts and our unbelief, we're buying into the lies of the enemy who's trying to pull us away from the truth of who God is and not cling to our identity as children of God. As children of God. Now, here's what's crazy. Is that even in the midst of this conversation, here's kind of where I want to land as I try to wrap up here and think about us responding to this. Is In the midst of this conversation, what we can't do is say, hey, we're just secure, right? Like where, where there's lack or where there's a lack of confidence, like we just need to know we're secure in Christ. Because listen, you look at the life of Abraham, you look at the life of Moses, you look at the life of Gideon and God taking these seemingly insecure individuals and doing magnificent things through them. And we see that living a life that honors God brings a great sense of insecurity and a great sense of inadequacy. You follow me? It's like, wait a second, you're like, you're like bashing insecurity and saying we should, be, we should be secure. But no, yeah, and now I'm saying is that when we press into the Lord and when we begin to understand what it means to live out our faith, all of a sudden we realize I can't do this. I can't do this. And here's what it is. Maybe this will illustrate it for you. It's living a life that demands gospel explanation. So we're not dependent upon God and dependent upon the Spirit of God. It's because our life doesn't, we don't really need Him. Man, every now and then. But like the life of faith. So what does it look like as God's people to live a life that demands gospel explanation? extravagant love. Have you ever asked an, a person that's not of faith, a person that doesn't necessarily go to church, have you, or a non-Christian, have you, ever, have you ever had the opportunity to ask them, I say opportunity, have you ever had the opportunity to ask them to forgive you? And they're just like, what? Like, it doesn't make, like, it doesn't compute with the unbelieving world. Okay, like, living a life that demands gospel explanation is that people look at your life and they're just like, you're so giving. Like, you, you, you view your money as if it's like, I'm just kind of giving it out. Like, you give of your time and you have family and you have job and you have like, why, why are you giving? And you know what the answer is? Because we have a God in heaven who gave his only son, and gave up his only son's life. That's why I give. The only thing that can explain my life is the gospel. The only thing that can explain my extravagant love is the gospel. Why would you forgive her? The way she treated you, what she did to you? Let me, let me tell you why I can forgive her. It's because there's a God in heaven who's taken on more sin 
and been harmed more than anybody else. And what does he do? He lavishes his grace on me and he offers his son as forgiveness. That's why I can forgive her. Like you're so hospitable. You open up your home and you rearrange your life and like you give of everything that you have. Like why? You love people that don't love you. Let me tell you why I do that. Because I have a God in heaven who when we were evil and wicked, he said, come on. When we were orphaned and hated him, he said, I want to I show you what it means to be a part of a family. I want you to, I want to open up the family of God to you and show you my grace and my love. Listen, I think if we as the church would begin to get our minds around this idea of what it means to live a life that demands gospel explanation, because listen, it's just, it's so much easier to band-aid stuff. It's like being intentional with the gospel is hard work. It's so much easier just to be like, you know, Jessica, like you just need to not believe that about yourself and like you're better than that. Like that's just so much easier to say than to like try to to probe her heart with the truth of who Jesus is for her. Right? And in every single situation, living life that demands gospel explanation to one another, gosh, the reason why they're that way is because of their Savior. The gospel explains how they live their life. And listen, when we press into this kind of life, we'll come across deep-seated places of inadequacy and an insecurity that force us to run to the mercy of God and say, God, I can't do this. When you get in a conversation with someone trying to, to plead with them to put aside sin and to press into Christ, and you realize that you have no ability to transform their heart. You have no ability you can coerce and you can like bring them, get them to change their behavior. But to actually see a heart change, actually see someone come to have affection for Christ, that's a work of Christ. And listen, we're unbelievably insecure and inadequate to be that apart from the Spirit's presence in our life. It's the only way the only way. So I want you to look back as we wrap up. Look back at your list of insecurities that you wrote down. Pull it out of your pocket. Unfold it. Put your trapper keeper around it. How is the truth of the gospel wanting to free you from that bondage? How is the truth of who Jesus is wanting to free you from those areas because here's the truth the bible says perfect love casts out all fear and in first peter chapter one it says he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled unfading kept in heaven for you who by god's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our hope. And that's our security. Let's pray and let's 
run to this great God. God, how great of a salvation you've offered to us. Only through your son. God, we are unbelievably inadequate and unbelievably unable to live out the Bible. We can try. We can try to produce some moral um, performance and we can try to be good people. But God, you've called us to throw ourselves at your mercy. You've invited us into your family. You've called us into a hope, a living hope, a secure hope. So God, I pray that you would take the areas where we don't believe in the truth of the gospel and you'd lead us to repent. God, I just trust your spirit to probe us where we need to be probed and to lead us to respond to the Lord where we need to respond. God, thank you for the cross. God, thank you that as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper, that where we feel unworthy, we recognize that that unworthiness is in fact the qualification to take the Lord's Supper. God, thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and the promised second coming, God. God, would you work among us and um, probe our hearts in Christ's name, amen.